0: Welcome to Band Bandsplainer, the podcast where we explain bands, brought to you by We Own This Town, which is a network of podcasts made by Nashvillians. I'm your host, Olivia Ladd. So times are weird right now. We usually get to record these podcasts in the We Own This Town studio, and I get to talk to the guest in person, but we're doing the quarantine edition of Band Bandsplainer, so I had to record this podcast in my closet, we had to record it over Zoom, I spilled a seltzer halfway through recording. It's not the usual audio quality, but I think that it was a great conversation, so I'm excited you're listening to it. And also, times are weird for everyone right now, so I'm glad that this podcast might serve as an hour and a half distraction or a way to kind of dig in to something you love and feel joy about something for a few minutes, because that's important, and I think music has been an especially good solace for me personally during this time, so I hope maybe this opens a door for that for you. You can follow Bandsplainer on Twitter at Bandsplainer or go to Bandsplainer.show to keep up with new episodes, and you can find We Own This Town on socials as well as weownthistown.net hope you enjoy Welcome to Band the podcast where we explain bands. In the past two episodes we've talked about country music which is kind of new territory for the podcast. I like write a lot about country, but the podcast has been kind of primarily like punk and new wave and stuff like that, but I really like the direction it's gone in. Felt like we had a couple good like conversations. So, because of quarantine, I had a couple of really really cool episodes planned and was kind of going to do this one later. But timing and having to do things over video, this just worked out. But I'm really excited because Lucinda Williams is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. So our guest today is my friend, one of my favorite people in general, Jordan kuner who is also known as Heaven Honey. You can go
1: ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Jordan from Heaven Honey. I am a singer-songwriter based in nashville tennessee i've lived here uh since august of 2019 and it is april of 2020 and we are balls deep in (laughs) the quarantine and what else can i say i i love lucinda williams and her songs what a woman What a woman.
0: Yeah, I am. I'm particularly excited about this because I think like we when we met. met.
1: Yeah, Yeah, we talked about
0: about Lucinda Williams and Lana Del Rey and all these people. But I feel like Lucinda Williams is like, I think she's pretty well appreciated, but like just in general feels like an underrated artist to me. Like I just feel like more people should know about her. And she has such like a vast catalog with a lot of space in between all of her releases, so I think it's cool to have like an overview, which is what we're gonna do today. Also, Lucinda is releasing a new album April 24. So, like, if you wanna listen to her new album, but you wanna like know the backstory of her career first, here's your place to start. So lucky you. Um, oh yeah. Cool. So, quick overview before we get into chronological order of things here. So Lucinda Williams, I got really into in like the past two or three years, I think as I expanded my knowledge of like country and folk and bluegrass and all that kind of stuff. And um, an interesting thing that's been just turning around in my head for almost two years now is, uh, I, I worked for wide open country briefly in 2018. That was like my first country writing job. And we used to have a column, like a monthly, I think thing where it was like, ask wide open country. And the writer who was also working there, he's a great writer, Thomas Mooney, check out his stuff. He asked this question, which I'm going to read, which is, so I ask, what does home sound like to you? What album transports you back to where you grew up? Not necessarily in a nostalgic way either. If you're going to show someone what your town or city sounded like when you kick the dirt or soil, what songwriter gets lifted into the air? And at the time, we ended up not getting to publish that because the... You know, things change to the website, but I, I didn't really have an answer. I was kind of thinking like a blues artist because I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi, which is like a really interesting cross culture of the Deep South where you get the Deep South itself, the Gulf Coast the Mississippi River lore and culture, and then kind of like the Cajun culture of things. So it's a really, to me, very interesting cross section of culture. And it's a very like Southern Gothic place. Eudora Welty's from there. It's close to Oxford where William Faulkner wrote, all these things. That's kind of how I view where I grow up. And while I didn't like totally grow up on Lucinda Williams, I mean, I like had heard her songs and stuff it kind of came to me that she would be my answer to that specifically car wheels on a gravel road because she does a great job of mixing blues with country and i grew up on like real delta blues she has this gravelly voice that kind of reminds me of my like relatives talking and uh she just is that sound to me and the more research I did I realized like how true that is uh because she's like lived in around and in the places I have and really just picked up and like almost created a new sound out of that which I think is beautiful so absolutely So her backstory is Lucinda Williams, as a child, kind of grew up in the South. You know, she was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and her dad had custody of her after her parents got divorced growing up. So her dad was Miller Williams, who was a poet laureate, worked at the University of Arkansas, actually read a poem at Bill Clinton's inauguration. And because he was a a professor, a writer, they traveled uh, around the South as a child throughout like Louisiana, Mississippi, Arkansas, all these places. He kind of settled in Arkansas. And I think a really interesting thing, kind of going back to my nostalgia and connection to this, is he was a visiting professor at Millsaps College, which is like less than 10 miles from my parents' house where I grew up. So I think that's really cool. He She lived there for a little bit in her adult life, but also in her childhood. And her dad was actually mentored by Flannery O'Connor, who's like the greatest Southern Gothic writer we as humanity were ever gifted with. So like a lot of those tones seem to like drip down into her songwriting. You know, it's like really dark, I guess.
1: Oh, yeah. And like... I don't know, her dad being a poet, like, makes so much sense when you, like, just read her lyrics, like, you don't even have to listen to the, to the music, like, it reads, like, poetry, standards. Oh, yeah, it
0: totally does. She uh, has said herself in, like, so many interviews that she's, like, a lyricist over music, but I think in kind of her second half of her career, she... Musically has always sounded great, which we'll talk about. But I think she got more into the experimental sonic side of things. But above all else, she's just like a fucking incredible lyricist. She's so good. Love her. So we'll kind of go into things now. So she grew up traveling around, tried to go to college. So she ended up kind of living in Austin and throughout other places in Texas, playing clubs in the 70s. And her first album, which is where we'll start, is Ramblin'. It was reissued as Ramblin' in 1991, but it was put out originally in 1979. And it was released on Smithsonian Folkways, which I think is like really cool for a debut album. It's pretty awesome. And so another Mississippi connection is that it was produced by Tom Royals. I found this article in my hometown newspaper, the Clarion Ledger. Uh, that was written after her 2016 album, I think. It talks about how her dad was friends with this attorney. So she met Tom Royals at an Ole Miss LSU game in 1964, and he was like an attorney in Jackson, and he was like, okay, we can either go watch this game or hang out with my friend who's this poet. So he did, and he stayed with them and met them, and she kind of formed a friendship with him, so during During this time the late seventies she was living with her dad in Arkansas, but kind of i think temporarily moved to Jackson Mississippi to record this album and he decided to kind of produce it. She had all these songs and knew she needed to like put them on a record to go somewhere so they had uh, this group of players that she knew they did it really tight really fast and put out this album. Rambling, and this is almost before she got into country. It's like a pretty straight up blues album,
1: you know. Yeah, I know it. It didn't uh, receive much attention, for the first her first two records, there wasn't much buzz around them. Mainly because the li- I don't know what label you said that she released it on, but like both of both of those records were put on put out on like smaller indie labels, which. She really liked cause she she wanted more creative control.
0: Yeah, and Being I think on an she, indie label. she knew that from the beginning because like we'll get into it where there were other there were other things where she yeah like didn't like how the producer was trying to control her. But yeah, this one was put out on Smithsonian Folkways, which is pretty cool because that's like a pretty archival like way to release music. But yeah, this one is like a straight up blues record which is really it's like comforting, you know, she almost like yeah, it's just it's just that kind of songwriting. And there's an emphasis a lot on like religion, money, heartache, drinking, lots of euphemisms, like the malted milk blues is real uh you know, a little slinky when you really dig into those lyrics.
1: So raw. It is how old was
0: she? when she did that first record, I'm not exactly positive. So there's a lot of space in between all of her stuff because Car Wheels was when she was like 30s, 40s, um, but she was still relatively young. So her next album was Happy Woman Blues, which was released in 1980. So she wouldn't release another album for 8 years between this. So, Happy Women Blues <laughs> was released in 1980, and I think it didn't get a lot of critical acclaim because she was still a smaller artist like in the south and a big part of her thing was she wasn't like country or blues or whatever, and this was before like Americana existed and they had a whole festival and award show every year. And so I think what's happened looking back on this album in particular is she was foundational in creating what is considered Americana. Like Americana, you go to Americana Fest, there's a lot of people that are kind of straight up country, but because they're independent, they fit in it. But then there's artists like, as far as younger artists go, I think a good example is Margot Price, where she has some, like, funk and blues and folk and all of that. It's not pure country. That's really what Americana is. So she was doing that a long time before. But
1: I think... Lucinda Williams walked. Since, so that Margot <laughs> Price could run, really. She certainly did walk, though. Like she, It took her a while, I think, to uh, g- uh, get going. Or for, like, people to give her like credit where it was due, you know? I think so. I think she took her time too. There's actually a quote I
0: had written down. I was watching a PBS doc, like a short six minute documentary. I believe it was like after the ghost of highway 20 came out, like, you know, a few years ago. And there's this quote, she said, and it was Bob Dylan was writing amazing songs when he was 18 and 19. So was Hank Williams, but I wasn't like she like knew that. And she knew that she I think she's always been confident in her songs, because the reason she's like my favorite songwriter beside John Prine Towns fans and people like that is like, her songs are really important. And they're so well crafted and and really just perfect the way they are. So I think she knew she was taking her time, but she believed in like what she had, I
1: guess yeah, she wasn't willing to compromise like what she wanted for like I don't know like it's- it's like a classic case scenario where like a label is forcing their artists to like fit a certain mold or 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 have a certain sound, and she was rather difficult, I think, especially with car wheels on a gravel yeah. road she was she was not willing to uh squander like the quality of the yeah. art with like I, she like re-recorded it and so yeah she, oh uh, yeah she was really very
0: picky around and it paid off so it did it truly has yeah <laughs> I think yeah looking back now that Americana is a thing a lot of those people that if she had put out happy woman blues nowadays i think it would be instantly like everyone i would be writing about it like everyone would be into it but so i think kind of like john prine and all that people have looked back over time and a younger generation of people has been like oh i like what she has been doing this whole time um not to mention she's still releasing great music but All of that to say, this album kind of gives that for me. So I really like this album. When I first got into her, I kind of tried to get into her chronologically, besides the songs I had heard. And this is a good one. It was also her introduction to like the music industry. And I read an interview where she was recording this in Houston. She had her, you know, guitar player and all this stuff, but mickey moody he was this guy that was producing it and uh she didn't want a drummer on it he brought in a drummer without her knowing and put it on the track he took money and didn't give it to the studio so like she kind of was thrown into this music business uh, you know from like being in like the academic world growing up and then like playing clubs and stuff and then thrown into this so i think the experience was a bit shocking which is why the next ones kind of took a lot of time. But regardless, it's a really good record. There's a lot of good songs on it. Uh, Lafayette is like a Louisiana reference. The song Happy Woman Blues is like a really perfect blues song. Like a, a drink white wine on the porch with one ice cube in your white wine on a hot summer
1: night blues song.
0: Yeah. Sharp
1: cutting wings. So One good. One of my like probably like top 5 favorites of yeah, her entire discography. Like it's just her writing. It's it's so simple and so delicate and that like sense of like female longing that oh, like, yeah. get, like <laughs> in so many of her songs like it's really very prevalent in Sharp Cutting Wings. Whoever she's singing about <laughs> uh she sh- sure did love them uh in a very desperate way which you know i think we talked about that that's yeah that that's first uh, night we met. Yeah, the first <laughs> time
0: we, we met we were literally on the mickey's patio talking about like that's why we love lucinda williams is like the longing and like she's not afraid to be like vulnerable about that like the like yearning of her music it's it's there.
1: strength like yeah she's extremely independent but also the first one to admit that she like needs love and she she yearns (laughs) as we all do you you, you know (laughs) as an independent like strong and confident female singer songwriter yeah, it's it's awesome. It's, yeah, those are my favorite kinds of artists or there's like that duality of being like very soft. But she's also like I mean, I've heard stories of people who know her like I've heard she's pretty feisty and, and sassy, which is I want to yeah. So- <laughs>
0: I would love to have a drink with her yeah so she even calls in a lot of interviews she calls the songs she wrote especially during this period her unrequited love songs like she won't even refer yes. to them as love songs like they're all unrequited love songs which is just you know I felt that like I feel that is
1: great unrequited love I mean it's <laughs> it's it's, fun it's out to there about it's fun to sing about it's <laughs> humbling <laughs>
0: I think so, yeah. And she, yeah, she has this way of looking at things from a distance, like the situation itself, but all of her lyrics are just from this really deep internal place, and I I think you start to see a lot of that on this record. This is the part of this whole podcast I'm, like, most excited for, because I think this next album, Lucinda Williams, self-titled 1988, is, like, my... Maybe my favorite album, I know Car Wheels is good, but I think this might be, like, one of my favorite albums of all time. It's definitely top three, if not number one. This album means just so much to me. I have it on a CD in my car, and I probably listen to it more than, like, any anything ever. I know, like, every song I've learned how to play, mostly songs on guitar. Like, it really inspired me to, like, look into a side of my writing and my, like, probably my whole life is changed because of this album, not these to be dramatic. Are some,
1: these are some high quality songs. Like that's why like the- she's hitting her like stride hardcore. Like, oh yeah. I almost like can't believe them sometimes. Like and this one and car wheels like. Are the peak. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's so good. It's so good. And that's why this album is so good. Not for like, like I, I like both lyrics and music. Like one of my other favorite albums is like On the Beach by Neil Young, and that's largely because of the sonic qualities of that. But this album, I love because every song is such a well-written song, and I'm like deeply upset that some of these songs aren't like more popular than they are. So like an overview of the album is Passionate Kisses, you probably heard because Mary Chapin Carpenter. Recorded it in 1992. And because she recorded it and got like a lot of mainstream country success, like radio play, Lucinda had the writing credit and it got Best Country Song at the Grammys in 1994. Whenever
1: she recorded it later, like a few years later, they both won a Grammy. So, yeah, Mary Chapin Carpenter won a Grammy for her performance of the song, and Lucinda got a Grammy for the song itself. It's so good. It's so good. And Change the Locks is on here, which uh, Tom Petty
0: ended up covering. And then she toured with him, and he was always a big supporter. But her version of it uh, in 1988, when this was released, was her first song to get radio play. And a really interesting thing, before we get deeper into the songs, which I definitely want to like pick apart here cuz they're just perfect. This this album was released by Rough Trade. So it took 8 years for her to kind of find a label to put out these songs because no one could categorize her, which is so funny now because I feel like every artist in my inbox sounds like her. So Rough Trade is a punk label in London who put out like The Smiths records and they like gave her a chance, but because she was in between I don't remember exactly if it was someone from Rough Trade or another label, but kind of like when they sat down to do this album, a record executive told her like she needed to work on her songs and was like, you know, none of these songs have bridges like they aren't good songs. And she was like really upset by that. So there's this quote where she says, at the end of the meeting, I went back to my little apartment in Silver Lake and immediately got out my Bob Dylan and Neil Young records and said to myself, these songs don't have bridges either. And I love that quote. Once again, she just did what she wanted, and she, like, knew she had good songs. And also, Bob Dylan and Neil Young are people she constantly talks about being really inspired
1: by, and I love that because those are my,
0: you
1: know, favorites. They wrote some of, like, the greatest songs of all time, and they didn't give a damn whether or not there was a bridge. I mean, yeah. their songs. Bob Dylan still doesn't. So he's releasing 18-minute-long songs in the year 2020 without a bridge, so and that's what I really appreciate in her songwriting is this she lets the song go where it needs to go she's not gonna force anything on it like so many of the songs like will just be like 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 I said earlier poetry like like stanzas repeated over and over again just with different lyrical content but Like, she never seems to be, like, preoccupied with, like, any, like, traditional songwriting structures, you know? The song just kind of seems to fold out the way that it's supposed to.
0: Yeah, she does let the songs have a life of their own. On this one particularly, the opening track is oh my god so good I just wanted to see you so bad It's very, uh, very Bruce Springsteen it like, is it's like so it's like that the time. I'm on fire of country music like it's so it's like it's so simple too it's like about she has like a crush on someone like far away they're in town she's like I just wanted to see you so bad I drove all night I just want to see you and I love that you said Bruce Springsteen, too, because this song, when I first heard it, reminded me so much of Because the Night by Patti Smith, which Bruce wrote.
1: Yeah. That, oh,
0: absolutely. Is, yeah, yeah, such a cool, like,
1: comparison there. That's like the first, first time I heard it, my friend was covering it at, at a honky tonk in, in Bloomington, Indiana, last year, and I immediately was like, oh my gosh, this is Lucinda Williams. This sounds like a Bruce Springsteen song. I love it. Immediate like I immediately I was like, this is great. And then I found this record and I was like, what is this record? And it's her it got reissued, which like is kind of confusing if you like yeah.
0: Spotify.
1: I yeah. Uh, yeah. The deluxe edition. Yeah. But nineteen eighty eight she was churning out masterpieces.
0: And she this really
1: one I just wanted to see you so bad is just such a fun listen. Like it, it sense like it's got, got like
0: tension and, and build up. It's like the excitement of like I feel like everything I say is gonna sound really corny here, but like when you really well, that's what the song is about. You really like someone and you're like so excited to see them that you don't it's almost more exciting like the promise to see them than like the actual yeah uh, meeting I guess like that, that like butterflies feeling and she yeah. captures that and she's so earnest it's such a beautiful piece of music
1: she even says in the song that she, whoever she's referring to she says I didn't know you very well <laughs> I yeah. just wanted to see you so bad which is like just sums up like that like intense yearning you have for like the idea of like seeing somebody even yeah. if you don't know them that well it's still just like it's like a youthful a, a excitement holler.
0: yeah it is it is a hoot and a holler
1: she captures um,
0: it so well she really does it's it's just great and then the second track we i promise we won't go through like every single track but the second track the nights are long is I think should literally there's no I don't like logically in my mind understand how this isn't considered like one of the greatest country songs ever because it's this beautiful story and it just starts out as she's telling the story but it it's like she uses enough empathy to feel like she is that character and it's about she totally is you know know, yeah it's definitely autobiographical a bit too Um, but it's about like a waitress in beaumont louisiana and she talks about like you know just wanting to like get out of where she is and like move somewhere else and so in the first verse she is complaining about like where she lives and my favorite Lyrics of that is I'm tired of these small town boys. They don't move fast enough. I'm going to find me one who wears a leather jacket and likes his living rough. And then another one about like she saves up money. And then uh, I just love this lyric. She said, I won't be needing these silly dresses and nylon hose. When I get to where I'm going, I'm going to buy me all new clothes. So, like, she has this goal of just being more than anything being like a new person, like a fresh start. And I love that. The chorus is really beautiful and then the very last verse before the chorus again is so simple and I don't know why it like strikes me so much, but it's just like it's so, it's so perfect. She's talking about she's at the show, she's like out with the crowd, she's finally where she wants to be and she's standing in a room and like she's just happy and it's a uh, the music's playing fast and they just met he presses up against her and his shirt's all soaked with sweat with her back <laughs> against the bar she can listen to the band and this line just i don't know why and she's holding a corona and it's cold against her hand that's just
1: beautiful we've all we've all like, been, been there or I'm i feel true. i feel for those who haven't but <laughs> i can feel that cold corona in my hand i know right just, now. yeah the beauty of like
0: In her songwriting, the most I feel like I'm ranting here, but I guess that's the whole point of this podcast Um, (laughs) is like her songwriting hinges in on these very dynamic, complex feelings that we all have, I think, especially as like kind of sad women um, have. (laughs) But also, she (laughs) she writes about the most simple, like mundane things and makes them feel absolutely mystical. And I think a lot of that is inspired by her dad's way of writing. So her dad's most popular poem is called Caterpillar. And it's literally about watching a caterpillar circle a bowl 27 times. And he's sitting there with his daughter watching this caterpillar walk in a circle. And I, when I went to see Lucinda, which I'll like get into when we talk about Car Wheels, because that was the tour where she played that album, there was like, you know, videos between like songs or whatever, so they could tune and stuff. And one of them was she talked about like growing up in the South, like things were so slow that she just learned to write about anything you didn't have to have something magic happening to have inspiration. And one thing she referenced was like a cat on a windowsill. Like she's talked about how you can talk about, you know, what you're seeing out a car window or like what you're seeing in your house. And how relevant is that right now when we're all stuck in our houses? Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of beautiful though.
1: Her writing is like, it's so deceptive in the way that on the surface it's, it's very, simple and like the the imagery like she uses like vivid descriptions of imagery and like but like the things that she's talking about are so simple on the surface like uh, a corona in her hand or the clothes that she's going to wear but it's it's actually it's very smart and poetic it's smart poetry and that it's not very pretentious and she's not using she never uses like very like big, pretentious words or adjectives, but it's because she doesn't need to. Yeah,
0: you know? yeah. She, I think it's like honestly smarter to if you have an idea or a concept or a feeling or something intangible to be able to communicate it succinctly is like a true talent. There's a beauty in songwriting and poetry and whatever writing in this, like being able to communicate an idea clearly and simply so that more people have the chance to understand it, I think is like a really cool thing. And that's kind of the country side of her writing, I think.
1: Uh, Definitely while like album, the Southern, her Southern roots. Like even though her dad was a poet, like, he was brought up in the south lived in the south like uh, like the emphasis on like poetic simplicity is it like it's really nice it's yeah. like a breath of fresh air you
0: no know, i grew up in a household that was very both my parents uh had me reading like Faulkner and uh, Flannery O'Connor, Carson McCullers, Cormac McCarthy. So I'm like really, as a human being, I'm really into the whole Southern Gothic thing because it's like, I also grew up in a place that literally those stories are not an exaggeration. Like I, you know, that's all real, like the Southern Gothic thing. And I think, yeah, she totally just picks up on that. And I think she talks about another interview where she talks about like her songwriting is just working through baggage Like Mm. she's like my childhood. Like I'm, I'm still working through all this baggage and I am putting like the spin on. So that's where you get like maybe a darkness or a sadness, but the, the poetry itself, there's like a beautiful, I just think school of writers that have come out of the South that all kind of share that common ability. um, I would say.
1: I'm just not realizing. I'm looking at my phone. I didn't realize Patty Loveless covered the nights too long. She did. Um, I love Patty Loveless.
0: She's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Kisses. Am I Too Blue? Am I Too Blue is a very, uh, a softer, soft rock. Yeah. uh, Track Um, off the album, but it's, uh, that one's very, that one reads just like a poem. Like, it does.
0: Am I Too Blue for You? It's so, it simply poses a question and then, like, asks more questions to support the idea, which is, which is really great. And Passionate Kisses, too, goes back to that, like, simple writing. Is it, like, the lyrics, is it too much to demand? I want a full house and a rock and roll band. Pins that won't run out of ink. And cool, quiet, and time to think. Like, she just, yeah, like, yearning, even not in a relationship context. Where she just, like, wants these simple, like, creature comforts of human life. And, yeah. And writes about them them and that's that's such a talent i just i love her change the locks which we talked about tom petty covered is like the best breakup
1: blues song like of all time it's great and like you when you listen to it it makes so much sense that it, like it sounds like something that was written for tom petty too like it really does it's like a and song and she yeah she like
0: really does the country rock thing he I think it begins here but that's like such a good it does sound like a Tom Petty song and I hadn't even heard the Tom Petty song before I heard this version and I think they're both pretty equally good and it's just cool that he
1: like supported her that one reads yep just like a poem where she like takes the same like she's, she's like turning over the same phrase with just like minor alterations and it's it's so cool. There's no chorus. There's no verse. It's all just the song just is what it is. It's just her yeah. just kind of spewing venom at whoever pissed her off yeah, <laughs> over and over again.
0: Way to describe it. Yeah, she just goes on and on. Like I changed the locks on my front door. I changed the tracks under the train. I changed the clothes I wear. I changed the number on my phone. Like she's like, get out of my life. Love it. I, I would recommend listening to this album just all the way through as many times as you can. I just, it's, I never skip a song on this. And I feel like that's been a discussion on the internet lately. Like who skips songs on albums? Like what are your top four or whatever? But this is like, there are some albums I don't want to listen to all the way through. This one, I just all I always have it playing in my car. It's just my favorite. Um, and then when they release a the deluxe, there's a lot of cool live. I was going to get into that, but we'll be talking for 30 minutes on just this album if I do that. So there's a lot of cool live cuts that got put on the deluxe, especially the KCRU recording of Sundays. It's such like a melancholy Sunday morning. It's like a Sunday morning coming down type of song really just wonderful
1: she's like she's wondering like why she's not uh able to relax and kick up her feet and just have a nice uh sunday morning coffee on sundays because she's got the blues yeah it's really simple and sweet and sad and everything that makes her great (laughs) it is
0: i really yeah i really relate to that song too because i feel like as a person i like almost thrive on like having a giant to-do list all the time or like being stressed or something. And then as soon as I try to relax, I start thinking about everything else. So I'm like, Oh, I gotta keep busy. Like I can't make it through a lazy Sunday, uh, which is just such a simple sentiment, you know, so many people. And it's just a good, it's such a good song. The harmonies on that live version are fantastic. So listen to that now.
1: 1988, we segue to, 92
0: yes so as you notice there is a lot of time in between all these albums and that's because she like takes a long time writing her songs which i like respect i feel like there's this immediacy to all types of uh creativity nowadays with sometimes records i think like all I think especially within country there's these times where it's like okay well we like sent out co-writers on a bus with these writers they wrote it they recorded it the day they got back in town and then they just put the album out a couple months later and she just takes a really long time between and she's got more life
1: to live you gotta have true. something to to true. write about and actually like her writing
0: yeah I feel like she I mean because she like hung out with like blaze Foley and Texas, it like she's like been around like she's like done the she scene lived in so
1: many yeah different cities that had like burgeoning like uh music scenes and communities um i don't mean to get ahead of what we we're going to talk oh, about yeah <laughs> she
0: totally has and that totally informs her songwriting and that's like what makes it good so 1992 she puts out her next album sweet old world and this is like a real oh real even more sad and longing and
1: beautiful so I get so excited about <laughs> the song this the second track on this record oh yeah thing so, about what happens when we talk I, I am mean, such a so long too. such a long song title but I mean, there's no other way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there's no better way she could have summed up that song is something about what happens when we talk. And she it's says so that over
0: and over again. Wonderful. I feel like it's almost a follow-up to I Just Wanted to See You So Bad in a way. Like, it's that same energy in a way. I This is one of my favorite yes. reason- songs of all time. It's, it's so simple. She talks about, like, it wasn't your face so much as it was your words. Like, it's just, it's talking about, like, when you you just talk to someone and feel, you know, all those. Oh, no. things, I'd say,
1: I will say something about what happens when we talk, I, I think is number one for me. For number for, one. The songs. This, this is one of those songs that like, it uh, <laughs> It changed my life. <laughs> Not to be uh, overly sincere, but yeah, it, it came into my life. Um, at like at a, at the right time, you know, where like, it's like, I was waiting, like this, the song just kind of came to me and I, immediately I wanted to cover it. So I did, I'd sing it at the honky tonk uh, in the college town that I lived in for five years. Um, I, I think that, yes, the lyrics are great. That's a given, like she's a great songwriter, but her vocal performance, she, I think oh, yeah. she really, really delivers on this song like and you know it's it's been said about bob dylan leonard cohen how they were extremely poetic and they understood like their their vocal limitations you know like they they didn't have what was considered to be like uh crystal clear beautiful ethereal singing voices like they actually had like pretty rough uh ways of like going about their vocal performance but they were able to finesse yeah. <laughs> they like singing their singing capabilities like in a way that like would just uh, serve the song and i think this song is a perfect example of lucinda williams doing that she also is notorious like for her very raspy um unconventional voice that wouldn't be perceived as like necessarily like beautiful or pretty yeah but she just the way she en- enunciates like oh her singing. yeah When she says conversations with with you. You was
0: like a drug.
1: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Conversation. It's very, very beautiful. And well, like the way she executed it, I can't get over it. So Yeah.
0: And that's like, I love that you brought up that point, because this is, uh, as far as like all the interviews I read, this is when she started really forming her exact vocal style. So she like learned how to like use her voice. And I love also on the note of her voice that like, as she's gotten older, it's gotten huskier, like more marbled almost. And yeah, you know, it's just like a Louisiana accent that sounds like, just like so many people I know, like that comforting, like, just this like accent it's just I love it and she does that in the song she combines all of those elements for like a really good performance in itself yeah so
1: I, I could can do a whole about. podcast on that
0: <laughs> yeah I know it's like it's so good it's, That's all it's I'll say. truly beautiful and I love your cover of it it's not on I don't think it's on Bandcamp anymore but I really do I,
1: I literally took it off soundcloud yesterday mm-hmm. uh I, I get like i don't know in my head about it uh i feel like it it could be better so i made it private and maybe i'll revamp it but i i love to cover that song yeah it is really i yeah
0: and i feel like it yeah it fits with your sound and stuff uh it's yeah i love it um and then yeah if you want to talk about like uh pineola and sweet the title track
1: oh uh, well i i know that Emmy Lou Harris covered Sweet Old World because she yeah. she wanted like after she learned about Lucinda Williams, I think it was probably with like after Passionate Kisses, she she had like a lot of nice things to say about her and was like kind of shaking her head at how little like credit Lucinda Williams was oh, receiving. Yeah. in and, the country world, yeah, yeah. She was like she's like Lucinda Williams is like one of the best out there, so she covered Sweet Old World. Which is a sweet song. Um, yeah, "Sweet Old World" and "Pineola" um,
0: are about—I hope I'm saying that right—are about like a the suicide of a friend, and so they're both like really kind of heavy, sad songs. But she has this way of being able to. Sing about those things that's very eloquent and mm, i I don't, I don't know if it's it.
1: pineola or if it's if it's pineola i have no mm-hmm. idea but it is a very brutal yeah song, the way it starts off like like you feel like you're sitting there with her after she just received news that her the family friend had shot himself but frank stanford yeah, it's uh, a friend and, and fellow poet. Yeah, it's it's heavy, but
0: I think she, um it, also in Ghosts of Highway 20, there's kind of this theme there of like death and uh, dealing with that. And she is just kind of uh, uninhibited and talking about it. And I'm sure that's
1: how she. Copes probably. It. Yeah. yeah, and
0: you can tell like it's, it's raw, but as a song, it just it's really beautiful that she's like able to do that and cope and i i she, think like
1: tackles she tackles like grief like oh she that's, dives yeah, in that's like she yeah. goes straight for it she's like okay this is the grieving song yeah <laughs> and uh and, I mean, she doesn't she doesn't sugarcoat it she's just like yeah this is what it is it's ugly like the family is like being just torn apart by grief right now. And this is what grief looks like. And she just kind of serves it up in the form of a song. Yeah, that that's a good one. That's like, I'd say like a career triumph. Pioneer. Oh, yeah.
0: I think so too. Grief is something. I think that there's a lot of songs about different types of pain or sadness or even depression, but grief is such a unique it's the worst thing anyone has to go through. It's like the hardest feeling to go through.
1: Yeah. I feel like heartbreak and, but then there's like, there's grief, (laughs) there's death and grief. And
0: it's so hard and it can take years and years to process. And it's
1: not, well, people sometimes are just avoid talking about altogether. So I think it's super like brave on, and on her behalf to like, just paint that picture. And, yeah and she song. just
0: puts it out as a way i think as a way to start like deal to deal with it because it's it's a thing that comes in stages it takes time, and it's i don't know it's really in a way, even though these songs are like heavy, it's like uplifting this this album because there's like a a hopefulness in the idea that you're able to vocalize it i think
1: oh yeah so she she she, she she always says that an interviews, like about her music like she's like I've got music to to help me get through all this bullshit yeah she's still doing it she seems like like that sentiment like she's carried it with her through our whole career and she is not slowed down yeah even that's like an early example of that for sure yeah and that's just very
0: similar again to John Prine like like he had a quote where it was like if you something along the lines of like if you give it a name it's not as hard to deal with and i just think that's true it's hard to like we all go through all this stuff and it's really beautiful to have a songwriter that just understands it from their own perspective and it feels like from yours you know just love her not to get too cheesy 1992 there's like a six year sort of break here where she took a really long time and focused in on writing a new album. And she moved to L.A. and eventually ended up moving to Nashville in the latter half of this time period. And she took a really long time writing the songs for this next record. And it all began sort of the recording process was, I don't know if I have the full, full story. From what I understand is like she recorded it some of it in L.A. with her old, like, partner like friend who was a producer creative partner and didn't like the life the songs were given in recording and she so she didn't really release it or anything and um i guess there were some masters out there or something and in 1996 she was asked to be on a duet with steve Earle, who now she's kind of closely associated with as far as like people are probably fans of both. Like I, I love both of them. So the, the album, I feel all right. They recorded in Nashville and they recorded the song. You're still standing there, which is like a really great song. Should listen to it. She's done a million collaborations, but this might be my favorite. And anyway, Ray Kennedy produced it in his studio in Nashville. And he worked, he's done like all of Steve Earl's stuff for the most part. I actually got to interview him about a year ago. And Still haven't been able to get anything published from that, so it sucks because there's a cool story I would love to share, but I'm like holding out for like a to write about it. But basically she loved the way he did her vocal her vocals on that, which is what we were talking about in the last album, her performance. So she moves to Nashville in '95, right before that happened, and is like, let's do this album. Let's produce Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. And this album so it won the Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album that year, which is a big deal. It also is literally considered like the nascent on a record. Like you have this and the O oh, Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack, and those are like what created what we now know as Americana, which is like my daily life is all swallowed up in that, you know. She created the sound where she already had the blues. She had this like country songwriting element. And then she brought in like the influence, which I especially kind of talked about in the intro where like, I feel like she sounds like the place I grew up because she brought in this like folk music and, and Zydeco elements in this, in this record and rock and the songs themselves are just perfect. And most of this was recorded with Ray Kennedy, where they were all in the same room, kind of recording as live as possible, not doing a lot of overdubs. And one of the songs on the actual album, I think, was just like the, the demo they had made because it just turned out so perfectly in the studio. Um, so it just has that feel to it. Like you feel like you're at a
1: show or something. I have the CD. I keep it in my car. It's a It's a great... I mean, car wheels on a gravel road. Yeah, it's a great yeah. one to keep keep on you. Good one. At the time oh, when we just met, I was like listening to that CD a, a lot because I I covered Too Cool to Be Forgotten, and oh, her, love that song. That song is amazing. It's it's complicated. It's hard to sing. Like the her phrases are kind of yeah. off kilter. They're off kilter. So I was like studying up on it and and i i kept it in my playing in my car like for a few weeks there because i was um gearing up to perform it um so yeah that's probably why uh yeah this i think this record like changed everything for her she was like after she like you know won all her accolades like which was like like this album had a lot to do had a lot to do with that I think afterwards she was just kind of like okay like I'm gonna do what I want now like this yeah. like this made it for like made her career it, it got her to a point where she could just like yeah Williams. yeah, yeah. Yep. She and proved I think to everybody that she could do exactly. whatever she wanted and yeah, do she
0: proved it well. to herself that like she was like i'm just gonna like she was stubborn she's like i'm gonna wait six years and write all these songs and then do it how i want this album is how i got into lucinda and i think pretty much everyone can say that because it is her most popular album and uh last year no 2018 sorry I don't know time doesn't exist anymore uh we're <laughs> in quarantine what 2018 was like the 20th year anniversary so she did a tour where she played the album in full and I went and I saw her at the Ryman Amy Lou Harris came out but just seeing her play sing this album all the way through 20 years later and tell the stories behind every song was so one of, like one of the best shows I've ever been to I want to like choke I'm up. I'm so talking about it.
1: jealous. I've heard about that tour.
0: It was amazing. So uh, you
1: definitely I mean my and I'm getting ahead of myself but my introduction to Listen to Williams was the song Fruits of My Labor ooh, just because that's oh, like a
0: talk about that
1: song. Yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's a I'd say it's one of her most mainstream and she's not by any means mainstream, yeah. you know, but if if you had to like, say what track is like, maybe the most famous, there's passionate kisses, there's fruits of my labor, but I don't think that as a Lucinda Williams fan, you, like you can really like come to know her as an artist and how great she is until you've listened to this record front to back, back to front. Yeah. <laughs> Just I like decide. the first half is, is jaw dropping.
0: It really is. I've always thought of this record in a way where it is like an A-side, B-side almost. Um, yeah, and it, yeah sure. like the first, like, literally the first four songs on this record are like some of my favorite songs of all time. Like, "Ride in Time is just about like, about timing itself, like the timing is right with someone and then just like the, the way you sync up. And, like, everything's just right in time. Like, it's all groovy. It's all good. And then Car Wheels on a Gravel Road. We should, t- we should talk about the title track. The title oh, track, yeah. Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, is just beautiful southern imagery. Like, it... She name drops Loretta Lynn. Yeah, uh, she talks about, like, people cooking downstairs and hearing Loretta Lynn on the radio. When I get back,
1: this house better... This room better be
0: picked yeah. up or something. Just, like... And when I saw her live she talked about how the song she wrote it and and a lot of her songs do take on a character like we talked about but she wrote this thinking it was like a character and then she played it live at some like really intimate show I guess it was the first time she'd played it live before the record came out and her dad was there and he was like that song was about you and she was like no it wasn't like it was it was about some character i made up and then he referenced the line child in the back seat about four or five years looking out the window little bit of dirt mixed with tears like it it gets me chills to like read the lyrics of the song because it's also talks about driving to Jackson like that's where I grew up and and the cotton fields stretching while you're listening to Hank Williams on the radio and beyond nostalgia that
1: truly like you should look up the lyrics if you listen to this like arguably one of the best Things about this song, and then like Lucinda Williams overall is like how she's able to. Well, there's like this striking imagery, right? Like a little bit of dirt mixed with tears. Like that's kind of like what do you make with what do you make of that? Like that's so like you can't. It's something you can't hide. It's very in your face. Yeah. Or, yeah. She's just kind of like here you go. Here's this like picture of a, a dirty little kid like crying. <laughs> But anyways, the way she's able to like describe this place to you, which is presumably what Mississippi or Louisiana, the deep south, and and make it almost like glamorous and like enviable, and the way that so many people are constantly singing about New York and LA and and Miami whatever, and she's able to give the south this paint this picture of the south that I think people from all over are like it evokes something inside of them even if they've never been there it just feels like uh, like utterly nostalgic and just yeah. warm it I didn't up in the I, south and I feel like I I feel like I've been there you know like I feel like that was me when I was younger uh I don't know it's it's That's like an everyman different. way
0: of of writing, but that, yeah, that like makes me want to cry to think about. She really does just paint a picture as it is. And I think there is a lot of beauty to a place like the South that's ravaged by things that are not so beautiful. And she's able to showcase them both and then leave you with this image that's like not overly romanticized, but it's beautiful in itself. And you, you recognize the flaws of it. And it's a very strong sense of place wherever that place is like it's wherever you are listening to it is you feel it it's visceral she's
1: she's the master of of that shit like just the details that she like she picks out from from her upbringing too cool to be forgotten which like in which she's literally taking bits and pieces of like bathroom like dive bar bathroom like scrawl that was written on like the stalls and stuff like like graffiti like she takes bits and pieces of some famous photographer I think is some some bar yeah and she adapts it to a song like she and that's the story behind that song is really cool yeah, she. So
0: the the album cover itself, she had tried to get a picture of a gravel road around Nashville, and like they looked and looked and couldn't find like the right image or couldn't capture the right image, couldn't find a gravel driveway, and they found a photography book that she found, and it's actually
1: where she got the album cover, Bernie Imes' book. Okay, it, it, the book is called Juke Joint. And, yeah, she, and she does say like, magic city juke joint in the song and in the back of, there's like a photo of, of, of three young men in the bar and there's graffiti on the wall and behind them. that reads true love June bug versus hurricane. And then too cool to be forgotten.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, she, that's where she got that. the song was that whole image. And like, What's funny is, like, I listened to that and the June Bug lyric, I was like, I don't really get it, but I kind of do get it. Like, in a way, it makes sense in the context of the song. But then finding that for her to be able to lift something out of a photo, like, <laughs> yeah. about it, you know, like she paints the picture of the photo through that. It's it's great. It's a great song. It's really good. It's that's a that's one of my favorite Lucinda Williams songs. Oh, like,
1: yeah. I think but, that one in particular, the production, album, the production on that song is, is perfect. striking. Like the very minimalist, like drums that, that kick off the song. Like it's, yeah. it's so good. It, it's that shit you want like to hear.
0: <laughs> that good, the music that sounds good when you listen to it.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I can't um, deny. Like that, the guitars. Oh, my gosh. It's all a, great
0: drum kit that was like from the 1930s so it was like tinny had that quality to it and and that's why it that's like why the album sounds like that i got to it's just cool to find these like intricacies of like why something sounds like it does drunken angel is a song she wrote about blaze foley and it's also just like a really
1: another banger for sure
0: just a hit oh it's so good like all the lyrics lake charles i love because i grew up hanging out around places like that and going to family reunions on a lake she talks about like listening to Helen wolf so once again a strong sense of place and imagery i think i lost it is one of her i think most popular like it's been re-recorded
1: and and covered it's on happy woman blues too Mm-hmm. so she she took it almost 20 years later and and put it on car wheels yeah it's so good it's a, and it's a it's like a
0: theoretical like the it is like your heart kind of thing like i lost it like it know can mean, you it can mean so many things, things exactly like, yeah it's like a theoretical song and it's okay. and it's just like it's really great and that one is also based on like a bumper sticker around either west texas or louisiana that was some sort of slogan for something people that lived there were doing and it was it just said i lost it and she saw it so much while she was driving around that she made it into a song once again she just is observant also yeah. A keen observer of of her world metal firecracker is funny because it's about her dating her guitarist and they had to kind of like sneak around so the metal firecracker refers to like the tour bus because there was so much like heat between them alone and this tour bus like explode like a quote-unquote metal firecracker i think that's so weird i like that greenville is good because that is a town of mississippi i just love that song still I long for your kiss is goes kind of back to those other songs we talked about where it's like longing and and a uh, pining and i i could go on all of these songs jackson is a great song down the big road blues i love all of her blues songs like the title ends in blues because yeah. she likes she like howls them out almost like she she has that bluesy inflection, and she's and
1: constantly referring to the color blue and then like the blues themselves, but no i the the this album all the way through it, it demands to be heard and listened to is every song. Oh, yeah. uh, it's just
0: like a really like, cohesive, beautiful thing, and every single song on it is really good and really deep and and uh like you were saying deceptive in this way where the more you listen to i mean i've been listening to it for years at this point and every time i listen to it i find another detail either in the music or the lyrics that just blows me away it's 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 a great album and it, it literally i mean it literally did establish like a bottom line of like this is kind of what we call Americana now because there were there were the troubadours there were the country people there were the blues singers and Lucinda was one of the first mainstream artists to just go all in on all of that and make these like Americana records and and someone like John Prine is certainly an architect for Americana, and someone like Steve Earle definitely is like has influenced it. But like this record itself is like the the textbook definition
1: of yeah. That. That's just so cool. It just shows like how well she was able to execute something that was uniquely her own. You know, yeah, like she didn't no have a blueprint. rule book. Yeah, blueprint yeah. rule book. I will say one more thing about the record before I move on, and that's how smart I think the pro- the production is, and oh, how like it, they hang, smart. yeah, they they hang back a lot. The, her players did like it, nothing is, I think bogged down at all throughout any of the songs like her lyrics her vocals are given room to breathe uh, that's how i feel about too cool to be forgotten it's oh, just it's, yeah. it's very like thinned out which i really appreciate about the record overall yeah a true a true triumph that is yeah. for certain yeah it's really- her grammy maybe so I, yeah, I, she had two. Gra- this is her second Grammy, so yes. she's really
0: heating up. It's sparse in the right places. There's no pedal steel like introducing and ending the song. It's just like things where they need to be just done so well before she put out our next album i think she was still in in nashville in 99 she did a graham parsons cover with david crosby of return of the grievous angel which i think is like uh, just one of the best country songs ever for a tribute album and i think that's an interesting cover and if you like look it up she has like a giant like we're talking dozens of collaborations because she takes so much time in between recordings that she I think she like writes these songs sort of works in silence and then has other other musical things she does, which is collaborating. Um so she's collaborated with like a, a lot of people, which I think is cool. She's sung like background or like helped people write, especially from this point forward in her career. So like we said earlier, self-titled and car wheels, I think are like the The peak era, like Sweet Old World and all that. So, I think that's what people immortalize, like what Lucinda Williams, that's like how she got started and stuff. So, I probably don't want to spend as much time on all of the other albums. Well, World Without Tears deserves it. But from this point forward, like we said, she won a Grammy. So, she was like, okay, I've done, I've been doing this thing for almost 20 years and she with her next album essence 2001 which is like a really good album she did what she wanted and it was she created more loosely she started to draw out songs to be longer and put a focus on the sound and so she said when she was writing this that time out of mind by bob dylan had just come out and that's kind of the simplicity She was going for where she had simple lyrics and song structure and then let the band just stretch it, just like play it. And a lot of her songs are less, less narrative on this. And I think she she's definitely like worried about its reception, but I think it did well with her. Get Right, which is a song on here, won her third Grammy so there's that Get Right With God is good. It's definitely a real uh, gritty song. But there's a lot of good songs on here. It's definitely grittier, jammier. It reminds me a lot of Neil Young, but there's like this like lightness to to it that she brings. Uh, Lonely Girls is such a good I song. love
1: Oh my yeah. gosh, I love that song. I love Lonely Girls so much. I mean, yeah. And
0: then the song Blue.
1: Yeah, Blue and I'm considering covering lonely girls for like um, a live some live stream that I'm going to do just cause that is, there, there's so many lonely girls and guys right now, especially. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. Can't, can't escape the loneliness in yeah. your bedroom. So why not sing about it? Better yet, we uh, sing <laughs> a, 1 a. song.
0: Um,
1: gets it. If anyone gets it, it's her. So she is like she does take a have a more simple approach, I think. Like in the albums that, that came after, like immediately followed Car Wheels on a gravel road. Like she leaned she kind of like leaned back a bit. It's like this record's like more downbeat for sure, as well as uh World Without Tears. It's it's nice though. Like it's all still like quality, but After Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, like I think that was like a smart choice, right? Because how are you gonna like top a record chock full of songs that are just like like one after another, you know? Like like she had so many like upbeat, you know, like rock songs that are just like all around like just really good, well written rock songs, following up with an album like Essence, like suited her career if you know what i mean like she didn't try to like she didn't try to like go down that rabbit hole any further and just like churn out like something that was similar to car wheels on a gravel road get right with god is i read a little bit about it she it's kind of religious but in the way that she's, like, kind of, like, being coy and, like, like funny. Like, it's about, tongue like... Tongue in cheek. Yeah. I yeah, think. like, how actions, are like, mean... Yeah, tongue in cheek. Actions are... Mean more than words. Like, when it comes to getting right with God. Like, you know, like... Yeah.
0: Talking it, the talk, like, like walk the walk, which is sardonic like... in a way that is a message I don't think a lot of country music touches on because you have outlaw country that just completely mocks establishment, and then you have music row country that over glorifies like capitalism and religion and this idea of purity and value yeah. when in reality it's not always true. And then she has this take on it where it's like, okay, let's talk about it, but like, let's be realistic about it like I'm not gonna say I'm not religious but I'm not gonna say I'm into what is going on here I think that's important as someone who grew up in an environment like that and tries to be critical of of things without being completely dismissive oh Um, yeah that song but yeah there's there's a lot of pretty good ones on here reason to cry I really like it's good so after this album was released in 2002, she was named America's Best Songwriter by Time Magazine. In 2003, she released World Without Tears, which I think was because she had put out the albums before, she was allowed to be experimental because she wasn't trying to prove herself or create one thing. She was kind of letting the music go where it went. So in 2003, she released World Without Tears and it's her highest charting album because i think it got a lot of radio play for multiple reasons and i love the album cover is shot by Danny Clinch who i like have his photography book i'm like a huge fan so i think that's cool he's like done a lot of photos of her i think he also did two more or at least one other of her covers so this is a really great album because it's very blues rock and she said she got a lot of inspiration from hip-hop in this one and r&b especially the song righteously she said was like directly inspired by lauren hill and righteously is also one of my favorite lucinda williams songs there's a great cover that i just discovered by anna ash i never heard of her but i'm obsessed with that cover because she kind of breaks it down simplifies it anyway this album let's talk about it fruits of my labor is the first track on this album It is definitely her most popular song of all time. It sounds
1: beautiful.
0: Like it's a really great song. So it's about it's in a a way this album also touches on grief of maybe I'm not sure of the cause, but almost like a loneliness or dealing with a grief. And um, Fruits of My Labor is kind of what we talked about of like trying to enjoy the things you've worked for but kind of like living in this like in a darkness or a gloom and once again beautiful imagery here I love specifically here there's lyrics these lyrics where she says when we slept together in the blue behind your eyelids like she she describes these things that you can't See that are there, and then there's a lyric uh where she talks about tangerines and persimmons and sugarcane, and the way she pronounces those three sugar
1: Sugarcane.
0: Sugar yeah, cane, like, oh. Puts that, like, 90s thing on it, like the Mazzy star twang, kind of. Like, I love just that, like, lyric. Like, the sugarcane she drags out. Great. She's so soulful here, and oh, her yeah. voice definitely matured like she's older here and this is like her album where she feels like a woman like a a grown like woman exploring these like new assets of life in a way where she can look at them in hindsight okay so we had a, a couple of technical difficulties so if anything sounds different it's because our call got cut off and we're recording This last part of the podcast a couple days later, but (laughs) nevertheless, we're going to power through. So we were talking about World Without Tears. The hip-hop influences on this album continue to a lot of other songs like Sweet Side, which is also kind of one of those songs where seems like she's talking about a character maybe injecting a little bit of herself in there here i really like ventura like the lyrics i want to get swallowed up in an ocean of love there's
1: a lot of like graphic imagery i feel like in a lot of the songs on world without tears like ventura like you said she says like lean over the toilet bowl and throw up my confession and it's kind of brutal
0: Yeah, I feel like this is a very, I mean, we talked about, like, she doesn't sugarcoat a lot of stuff. But I feel like this album, because what we talked about, she was in a place in her career where she was kind of, like, doing whatever she wanted. I think she, like, was just, like, fully, fully honest in this record. Like, those three days kind of goes back to that, like, longing in her earlier albums. I love the lyric, and I have been so fucking alone like that's just so like vulnerable like I love that but she kind of talks about just like being alone in between seeing someone and how it makes her feel down or whatever those three
1: days is like is so relatable like I, I kinda, <laughs> like for anybody who's ever like really had it bad for somebody and then it's like one day they're into you and the next they're like they couldn't be more indifferent <laughs> about yeah a relationship What was the line? She's like, uh, you said you'd love me forever for like on those three days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: like, yeah, it's just about like a conditional
1: feeling like an, unreciprocated
0: passion uh you know we've all I been did, there I
1: love, baby yeah
0: it's it's the theme Always um like lucinda <laughs> she really yeah true there's kind of a big break between studio albums here and other four years but her record label at this time was kind of pressuring her to put out another record so she released a live album called live at the fillmore in 2005 and around this time In 2004, her mother died and she obviously had like a complicated relationship there. And so she says that this is when she entered a prolific stage of writing where she was just like every day, just like pushing out a song, you know, like it became really easy and a rhythm. And that was like all she was capable of kind of like doing creatively, which worked out great for her. During that time, she wrote all these songs for her 2007 album, west this is the album that was produced by Hal Wilner who recently died unfortunately and i just kind of read an article where she she briefly talked about that but he he did music for like Lou Reed and like SNL and like a lot of kind of new york scene kind of stuff so i think it's cool what he brought to this album you can definitely tell these songs are are truly Lucinda, but they feel a little, like, in in both ways, like, experimental and commercial. Like, they're very polished as compared to even some of the earlier Americana-y albums of the 90s. And this is a pretty solid late-career album. Are You Alright is featured in the True Detective Season 1 soundtrack, which I recently jordan's heard me say this a million times recently got into and i'm like completely obsessed with that show the first season
1: only i watched it because you got into it and i I only saw this first season and i took the opportunity to watch it all and binge it when i was violently ill in early february are you all right i love that song that's like i think that's classic lucinda like lucinda at her best especially like like you said like uh, late career, her latter half of her career, I guess, because we've entered the like, you know, she had a lot of momentum after Car Wheels on a Gravel Road, and this is what, like, almost ten years later.
0: Yeah, that's right. such like a tender song, like it's like a really like just empathetic song. And True Detective plays in the scene where I can't remember what episode, three or four, or something where. Matthew McConaughey is, like, trying out these fake drugs in this, like, little country house kitchen. It's a really beautiful scene.
1: Yeah, I really like West. I didn't get into Oh, and, into and it, it takes place in Louisiana. I didn't make that connection. It does, uh, yeah. Season one. And she obviously uh, was heavily influenced by living in Louisiana. Yeah, it's such a good soundtrack, because T-Bone Burnett did it. There's a lot of, like, there's a Steve Earle song in
0: there, too, which fits right in. Anyway, I really like the title track off this one, Where Is My Love. Yeah, it feels like Lucinda has this, I don't want to say, like, brand or something, but, like, her, like, creative, this is what she does, and she's just doing it here in, like, a really well-produced, just, like, record. And it's, like, it's a good record.
1: Yeah, it's definitely polished, Yeah, yeah, it just feels like... It sounds timeless, like, are you alright? Definitely. Yeah. It can fit in 2007, or in the 90s, or, yeah, today. And
0: her voice, I feel like, truly started to, like, World Without Tears, it was, like, a little grittier stuff, and on here, it definitely, like, you know, like, with older age, like, changed, and I think she was kind of, like, leaning into that here. So, and around 2008, she got together with Tom Overby, who is her... Uh, manager and husband and they're still together which is cool so she put out little honey which like i don't really have a lot to say about this one i like a couple songs like jailhouse tears and stuff on here but this was kind of her least successful album artistically the and aesthetic
1: is, is definitely confusing
0: <laughs> yeah it's just Even, not like to the album art
1: it's a little i uh, missed the mark
0: yeah, I, I don't, like, know what the whole story is there, but that's, like, I, even in an interview, she said, like, she's, like, it's not that I hate this album, but it's not, like, my best or whatever, but I don't know, in every podcast we do, there's always a point where it's, like, uh, this album is okay. Um, But, yeah, it didn't it didn't fare great commercially, but she's obviously bounced back from that. I
1: know um, the song Honeybee is, like, a sexual innuendo or like i don't know it, it's if you've listened to the lyrics it's definitely about like a sexually uh charged relationship <laughs> yeah that's, so that's uh, kinda, that that's sounds classic yeah that's like her very
0: first album was a lot of like straight up innuendos that are like oh like that seems like something like john lee hooker or like Helen wolf would do you know and so yeah. i like i kind of like that she still does that in older albums 2011 She released "Blessed," which I think is is a really good album, and to me is one of her most like Louisiana sounding albums or like New Orleansy almost. Sort of has that spirit or feeling to it. I don't know. I really like it, but this is also like she's been around the block at this point, so I think she's writing in a more Positive light on this album, while yeah. still while still being pretty honest.
1: Yeah, as she. As, I don't know. I've noticed that the lyrical content starts to like gravitate more towards like spirituality. <laughs> I don't want to say like her songs are like uh, the, oh they got more religious, but like just like more reference more references to like yeah the soul and being like blessed and yeah, yeah the spirit. I guess-
0: spiritual side like a yeah like a positivity born to be loved is like my favorite on this one because it's like a really uplifting it's like it it's seems awesome like, yeah like a response song to a lot of the stuff on world without tears that like genuinely just confronts like trauma straight up which like we talked about she's probably done through a lot of songs but this one is almost like a response of like no matter what's happened to you like you're allowed to be loved and you deserve it which is like so wonderful to hear you know and i think it's part partially like obviously your life influences music and she's like found her life partner around this time and like yeah it's like a it's a sweet sweet wholesome album So we have like two left to talk about. So getting to the nitty gritty. Yeah. (laughs) In 2014, she released Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone. I would say more like Southern Rock straight up. And so the name, the title of the album comes from a lyric in the song Compassion, which is based on a poem written by her father that shared the same, the poem had the same name. Down Where the Spirit Meets the Bone, I really like, I saw her play a couple of these songs live. I think West Memphis is probably the most popular track on this and it's a real southern gothic like that's the way we do things in west memphis it talks about crimes or secrets in a southern town sort of thing and it's like a real gritty like song and she also kind of goes back to being more politically vocal here like foolishness is uh could be interpreted as that, and when I saw her play it live, she talks about like, don't need that foolishness in my life, don't need liars in my life, all this stuff. And she talked about like, don't need racism in my life, don't need sexism in my life, like whenever she sang it live, which was definitely like a snide remark at Mr. 45 there. So it well, was this cool. was in
1: 2014. Oh, wait, no, but you yeah, saw when it live. I saw her live, yeah, she had like yeah. changed the lyrics, which I, I love when people do that. It's getting, like, her recent work has been getting very, like, Dylan-esque. Yeah, oh he yeah, her most recent stuff
0: is very Dylan-y. Yeah, very, like, a uh, just, like, Spitfire, sort of. Um, Stand Right by Each Other is also... I really love that song. It's just kind of about like, you know, each other is all we have. We got to we got to do that. So, that's a pretty good one. It was recorded in North Hollywood, um, and when I look at the world, I've never seen The Show Nashville because I tried to watch like the pilot episode and it was too much like my actual life. Like they were hanging out at the Opry and I was like, "Oh god, I do this for work. I don't want to watch this on a TV show." But <laughs> that song was apparently covered at some point on that TV show oh and yeah and then we come to her final release before the album that's like about to come out so ghost of highway 20 came out in 2016 you'll also notice she's kind of releasing albums closer in time because i think she just like has Kind of all these songs sitting around and had the resources, whatever. But uh, 2016, Ghost of Highway 20 was a big, I think, release for her because to me, it's like the best of her later albums probably since World Without Tears. And I think there was like just a large amount of press done for this album too. Oh, yeah,
1: definitely.
0: So what happened is her father died of Alzheimer's in 2015. And anyone who's been through a family member dealing with that knows it's just a, it's like a really slow, awful thing to have to see happen. And that experience totally translates to the whole tone of this album. It's just slow, haunting, and very much confronts not even grief in the way the other ones did but just like dealing with with death and dealing with your own mortality I think when you see it elsewhere which is like a scary thing human experience it's it's a very like textural album and it's very Neil Young and that some of these songs are real dragged out and so she said when she was in the recording studio she was trying to channel like a John Coltrane album like she just wanted this like improvisation and she would let the band sort of play on and stretch out the songs mm-hmm. and kind of do whatever they wanted i think she relinquished control a little bit and was loose with these songs
1: you can tell she loves john coltrane yeah she talks to, i think she talks about him in righteously she
0: does yeah, yeah it's like i don't want to play any games or something just Just play play me 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 i love that and the the final songs there's 14 tracks and she wrote specifically if my love could kill about her father and she also talks about like uh doors of heaven she talks about her own mortality like if the doors of heaven are open let me in and she talks about highway 20 which like if you've lived in the south you've probably driven down and kind of like her the ghost of her memories there and good and bad and how they don't sit right
1: sometimes. Yeah. And er it's pretty existential. Oh, like, it really is. When she's talking about like the ghosts of Highway Twenty, she's like also like gearing up to like join the the club. Like
0: Yeah. She like, talks about her own death like on four or five of the songs here, like straight up like uh if there's a heaven too like just like how she's like, okay, I guess I've accepted that this is going to happen to me and I'm ready and like, I'm going to be where all these people or memories of my life have gone. It's kind of crazy. And the last track, Faith and Grace is like, it's like over 12 minutes long, but it was originally 19 minutes long. And so it's like a really haunting track because it's, the lyrics are there, they're pretty straightforward. And then there's just these long, long stretches of uh music that's um pretty dark but like in a in like it's like the acceptance phase of grief almost like all her albums are like different ways she's dealt with her life and then this one she's finally like well this is what it is, you know, like it's it, it's uh like the end of a biography sort of thing, which is interesting because I think that put her in a place where she got all that out and then the album she's about to release from what I've heard of the singles so far. If You Can't Rule Me, Man Without a Soul, Big Black Chain or the Singles Um are, are all very Political, so You're I think it's cool. Feisty. Yeah, she she Let was like, hang out. I've talked about my life, so now I'm going to talk about what's going on. So kind of between that time, there was a re-release of sweetle World where she re-recorded the songs and Jacob Dylan sang on It's Gonna Rain. I meant to mention this earlier, but Magnolia, which is on the album, as a JJ Cale cover, which I think is cool because I love JJ Kill's music, and it's cool because I think on some of these songs they sound. They're they're given a new life with her like more gravelly voice and older age like uh, Sidewalks of the City. I actually prefer this version. It's definitely more polished and produced. And then since then she's continued a lot of collaborations. In 2019 she produced Jesse Malin's new album Sunset Kids, which was like one of my favorite albums of the year. I got to go see him play it all live last summer at like a really intimate show and she co-wrote a lot of those songs did i tell
1: you that i opened for him yeah that's like really cool he's a great songwriter he's really nice honestly like he was really nice to me (laughs) and i i'm so corny like i i covered something about what happens when we talk (laughs) uh at that show with my guitarist just because I wanted to, and he, like, came up to me and, like, talked to me about it afterwards, and he he talked a lot about Lucinda throughout the set, like, in working with her and how, like, he was nervous at first because she writes such good songs, but that it, like, went really well. Yeah, she, she did sing with him on like one of the singles too I think.
0: Yeah, she sang with him on Room 13 dead on and Shane off that album. But yeah, that's a great album too. Like I think she's exercised her talent as a producer more also, which I really love to see an artist do that like transfer like someone whose music I've loved and then see them work on other albums and then I find new artists that sound similar or I really like automatically because they transfer their sound onto that which is really cool so her new album is coming out soon or may have already come out by the time you listen to this but I hope this whole podcast served as a way to get to know Lucinda better so you can go back and listen to her old stuff and continue to follow uh, her work because it doesn't seem like she's stopping anytime soon she seems to be Pretty creative and just as good as ever. Hopefully when we can go to concerts again, she'll tour. So I guess that's it. Is there anything else you want to add?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people separate the art from the artist, uh, teach their own, but it is really nice to to hear stories about like your heroes that like, lead you to believe that they're, they'd be like kind to you if you were to meet them she is doing the damn thing and like you said do, it doesn't appear to be the case that she like plans on slowing down anytime soon which is badass she's like what 67
0: yeah so. and she's still doing I saw her do she did like the luck reunion live stream and it was like really good yeah I feel like she's still doing the thing. It is just good to know like a person who's a good songwriter like means what they say and just having someone who you can relate to in so many ways on so many levels on years and years of songs is a really nice thing to have to hold on to. So I'm glad we have Lucinda Williams.
1: The real um,
0: deal. The real deal. Okay, well, that's pretty much it. That covers most of it. You can look up more stuff, and we'll post a playlist in between this and the next podcast. But thank you, Jordan, for Skyping in and thank doing you for the asking. podcast. And thank you guys for listening.